So let's read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. This is the word of God. One good way of knowing what you value in life is by looking at the things that you pray for. Uh, for example, if prayer is only something that you do when uh, trouble comes into your life, then that tells you something about what you value most. In this case, comfort and ease. Or if your prayers are only filled with uh, prayers for about your own physical ailments um, or the latest doctor's test that's coming up for you, then again, that shows something about what you value in life, in this case, your own health. See, our prayers are a good insight into the things that we value most. And so when we hear the Apostle Paul praying, uh, we get an insight not only into what Paul valued most, but also what all Christians um, should value most in life. See, in this letter, Paul has just told the Colossians what he has been thanking God for ever since he heard about uh, the work that had happened in Colossae, the church that had been gathered there by uh, the evangelist Epaphras. Uh, Paul told, God, uh, told the Colossians how he thanked God uh, for them, um, for the, the way the gospel had impacted them. And at the center of that section, uh, he talked about how all over the world this gospel was bearing fruit and increasing as it had done among the Colossians. And uh, that was obvious, remember, because of their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, and their hope that was laid up for them in heaven. And now in our passage today, Paul goes from saying what he was thanking God for them to now what he is praying to God for them. So this passage that we're looking at is a prayer. And we actually see these same words that Paul used to describe what the gospel was doing all over the world and what the gospel had done in the Colossians, bearing fruit and increasing. We see that again in this passage today. And so this prayer, Paul's prayer for the Colossians, is really a prayer that the gospel would keep doing what it had already begun to do. And that's why I've called this sermon Gospel Growth. Uh, the work of the gospel, is, it isn't just to get people to make a decision and then leave it at that. The work of the gospel is to grow lifelong disciples of Jesus. See, the good news of Jesus, it's, it's not only the entry into the Christian life, it's the way you keep going, you keep growing um, by uh, the gospel of Jesus. Remember that picture of the opal mine last week. Once you find it, you don't search everywhere else. You just keep going deeper and deeper into that one spot. And so this passage, it's a prayer for gospel growth. And we learn three things about how we grow in Christ from this prayer. Uh, we learn that we need knowledge from God. We need power from God 
and we need to know that we have been qualified by God. So let's look at those three things. So first, we need knowledge from God. Look at verses 10 to 11. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So this is the main content of Paul's prayer. This is the, the main uh, request. Uh, everything else here is the overflow of this one request. So we need to break it down and have a look at what is actually going on here. What is Paul praying for? And you'll see that the heart of this prayer is a request that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. So God's will, what is that? God's will here it just means to know what God wants you to do. To know what God wants you to do. And you see that in other places where Paul talks about God's will. Uh, so for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, what does God want you to do? He wants you to grow in holiness. And Paul unpacks that there in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he goes on to say that you, know, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And so, you know, if any of you are giving yourselves to sexual immorality, do you know what God's will is for you? Stop. Stop that. That's God's will. See, God's will, it just means to know what God wants us to do. To be filled with the knowledge of God's will means that we have our minds full of knowing what God wants us to do. But there's also a personal aspect to this, uh, to this because to know what God wants, you need to know what God is like. And uh, that means knowing him personally by spending time with him, listening to him as he tells us what he is like in his word, uh, in, in the Bible. So that's how we get to know God personally, the Bible. Uh, the Bible is God's special revelation to us. So his laws, his promises, all of his actions as, a, as they are recorded and interpreted for us in the pages of Scripture. All of this is God's way of, of teaching us about himself, that we would know him, that we would know his character and his ways and his uh, desires for us. And so from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, God reveals himself to us so that we can know him and therefore know his will for us, know what he wants us to do. And see, at the center of this revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, the heart of it all, the focus of it all, is God's revelation to us of his son and all that he has done in his son to redeem the world. And so to sum it up, Knowing God's will is to know how God wants you to live in Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And as you can see then, the knowledge of God, it's, all, it's always aimed at application. God never imparts knowledge of himself just for knowledge's sake, you know, just so we can be really smart and, and have all of these great facts in our minds. No, theology must never be just an intellectual exercise. It's always aimed at practical living. And it's, it's always to be applied in your life. That's why God imparts knowledge, for transformation. And that's why Paul adds to this request that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. What, how? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
And so wisdom, we know that wisdom is all about practical knowledge. Wisdom is about knowing how to live, how to speak, how to think, how to act in any situation that you find yourself in, even in complex situations. Remember a few weeks ago when we were in James, looking at trials, how do we cope with trials? The key was wisdom from God, because wisdom from God enables you to know how to react, how to, how to live, how to deal with going through a trial. And so spiritual wisdom and understanding is knowing how to live God's way in all of the complex circumstances that you face in life. And so to give you an example, last week we briefly looked at one aspect of God's will for us, that we should have love for all the saints. That's God's will for us. But see, in order to practice that, in all of the complexities that relationships actually are, to do that you actually need all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because relationships are very complex. You know, relationships, they can be a, a source of tremendous joy or a, some, a source of tremendous pain, and sometimes both at once. Uh, they can be, relationships can be very dependable or very fragile. Uh, they can be very difficult. Paul Tripp once wrote a book on relationships and he called the subtitle, A Mess Worth Making which I thought was a great way of putting it because on the one hand, he argues that we were created for relationships. We can't cope unless we have relationships. And yet at the same time, they are messy, a mess worth making. Uh, they're, they're hard to do well. They're complicated by sin. And so you've probably found yourself in a relationship with someone uh, very difficult or someone who, uh, where, where, where there's conflict or where you've been hurt by them, and you know that God's will for you in that relationship is to love that person. Uh, that's what God tells us he wants us to do. But then you're wondering, well, how do you actually do that? How do you do that when the relationship's strained? I mean, do you confront every issue that comes up or do you overlook it? Uh, do you put distance between yourself and that person or do you draw near? See, it's very complicated. We can know what God's will for us is, in this case, to love the person, but how you practice that in the, all the complexity requires all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's just one aspect of life. You now think about every other aspect of life and then you realize just how big this prayer is. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how we will know to, how to live, to please God. In fact, that's what the aim of all of this is. All of this practical knowledge that we're wanting God to fill us with, it all has a purpose, which is stated there in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's the whole aim of knowing the Lord. This is why God has drawn near to you, so that you can know him and know then how to please him. Uh, this is all so that our lives would bring God pleasure. And we shouldn't overlook that word fully there. See, fully pleasing to him. What does that mean? Um, are there any compartments in your life that are not pleasing to the Lord? Are there any parts of your life where you are ignoring God's will uh, for you? 
See, the aim of knowing God is that every part of our lives would be transformed. And that's why uh, when Paul begins to unpack what this will look like in our lives, he begins by saying that we would be bearing fruit in every good work. See that word every, see fully pleasing, every good work, all of life is about pleasing Christ. And so everything like, you know, how you conduct yourselves at work, uh, how you treat each other in your homes, in, in, in our church, uh, the language that we use, the conversations that we have, uh, what we spend our money on, what we look at on screens, how we react when we're hurt, how we bring up our children. Every aspect of life is to have the knowledge of God's will come in and then enable us to know how to practice that in every single aspect of our lives so that we would be pleasing to God, that we would please Christ in everything we do. And so I wonder, is that happening in your life? Is that something you are growing in? Are there areas that need some desperate attention? And just to finish off this point, notice that in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, we've actually come um, full circle. We've come back to where we started because another one of the overflows of knowing and practicing God's will uh, is increasing in the knowledge of God. And so now we see that Paul's prayer, it's actually for a cycle of growth and transformation. Um, Being filled with the knowledge of God leads to growth in godliness, which then leads to increasing in knowledge of God. See, it just keeps going round and around, on and on, like an upward spiral. Uh, Do you know, when I was um, very young, um, I went with my family to uh, Werribee Park uh, Mansion. And uh, the only memory I have of that place, apart from the extremely long and boring drive, uh, the only memory I have was the tower out the front. There's this big tower um, up the front. And uh, in that tower, there is this little tiny spiral staircase that goes all the way up to the top of the tower. And I can still remember chasing my brother up that little tiny spiral staircase. But that staircase, it's, it's kind of the picture that's in this passage here. See, the the knowledge that leads to godliness, that leads to knowledge, that leads to godliness, it just keeps going up and up like a spiral staircase. And that's the process of change. That's the way we grow in Christ. Uh, That's the way it's to take place in your life, step by step. And so that means every time you prayerfully read the Bible, every time you listen to a sermon, Every time you sit through a Bible study, do you know what that is? That's one little step on this spiral. Just one step, right? But that remains one step until what you've learned you put into practice. Because God's knowledge, it's always aimed at application. So when you put that into practice, that's the next step, which then leads to more knowledge of God. That's the cycle uh, that it keeps going as you put into practice Uh, what you know of God's will. And that's what Paul, we see here, he prayed constantly this prayer for the Colossians, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And so this is the prayer that we need to pray for ourselves constantly and pray for each other constantly, that we would know God's will and live it out. So that's the first thing. The next thing we see in this passage, though, is that not only do we need knowledge from God, but we need power from God. And that's in verse 11. 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, if you stop and think about that, that's actually very exciting. Power from God coming into your life. Wow, imagine what that can do. Power from God. Well, what is this power supposed to do for us? Well, we're told there in verse 11, it's for all endurance and patience with joy. So God gives us power, not so we can win races, uh, not so we can win arguments and humiliate our opponents. He doesn't give us power so we can uh, achieve great success in our careers or things like that. No, no, he gives us power so that we can keep going under pressure. That's what endurance is. Uh, this is for all endurance and patience with joy. This is the power to endure trials with joy, like we looked at in James a few weeks ago. But what does that imply? That implies that the process of gospel growth is not an easy one. Uh, the context in which growth happens, uh, it's often in the face of great difficulty. So remember in James, we saw that faith grows, how? Under the pressure of trials. Or Peter, he says that uh, you grow or you're refined, how? Through the furnace of suffering. And so to keep growing in Christ, it's actually a hard slog. It's difficult. There are many trials, very difficult trials in our lives. Um, we have the daily temptations to resist. All of us have daily temptations we need to resist. Uh, there are painful trials, temptations. There's a spiritual battle going on where you have an unseen enemy who wants you to fail, who is trying to trip you up along the way. The world we live in is often uh, not favorable to the followers of Christ. And so we have all of these obstacles, all of these difficulties um, before us. And see, sometimes it actually feels like it's too hard, that it's almost impossible to keep going. You know, if you're, if you're under the intense stress in, in a difficult circumstance, or perhaps you're uh, in the middle of, of some horrible conflict, um, perhaps you've had to endure depression, and sometimes it feels like it's too much. Uh, it's so overwhelming, you wonder how on earth are you going to keep going? It feels like you can't keep going. Well, here's some comfort for you from verse 11. You keep going not by looking to your own strength, but by looking to God for strength, because it says we are being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. It's God's power that keeps you going. A couple of years ago, I um, came across a, an old hymn written in the 18th century that I'd never heard before. It's called Afflicted Saint, To Christ Draw Near. And it reminds us that our strength to endure as believers uh, through any hardship is actually found in Christ himself. Afflicted Saint, To Christ Draw Near. And it has this refrain, As your days, your strength shall be. In other words, as long as you exist, as long as you keep going in life, Christ's strength is what will get you through. And so one of the verses that says, When called to bear your weighty cross, or sore affliction, pain, or loss, or deep distress, or poverty, still, as your days, your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. God 
shall supply what you need. He will strengthen you to keep going. Rest in him. Or perhaps um, maybe this doesn't really speak to you all that much. Maybe this is not the sort of trouble that you face in life. Perhaps the challenge you face to growing in Christ is not so much uh, difficulty and, and trial, but rather it's the constant lure of the world. Do you know, if you read through the Colossians, the letter to the Colossians and try to work out what was the challenges they faced? It wasn't persecution. It wasn't um, uh, difficult circumstances or no, no divisions in the church, no great scandals or anything like in Corinthians. The danger the Colossians faced, the reason they needed God's power to endure, was because they were constantly being lured away by false teachers promising them something better than Jesus, saying that, no, no, you need to add something, something Jesus isn't enough. And so maybe for you, maybe that's the danger you face. It's that constant lure of the world it's trying to distract you from Christ. Maybe that's the danger. Perhaps it's the pleasures of the world or the materialism of our culture. Or maybe it's the desire for a life of comfort and ease without bearing a cross. Maybe that's the danger for you. Well, you too need to be strengthened for, with all power according to God's glorious might, just so you don't drift away, just so you don't become ineffective in your life for Jesus. See, we all need strength from God to keep going, to keep growing. No wonder Paul constantly prayed this prayer for the Colossians. It's one that we need to constantly pray to. We need to pray that God's power would strengthen us to keep going, to keep growing in Christ. So for the gospel to bear fruit in us, we need knowledge from God that we put into practice. We need power from God to keep growing. The third thing we need, though, is we need the gratitude that comes from knowing that we have been qualified. And we see that in verses 12 to 14. So look at verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you know there are many positions and achievements in life that require you to meet the qualifications? So, you know, you can't get into uni unless you meet the qualifications. You can't get the job unless you meet the qualifications. You can't win the race unless, of course, you meet the qualifications. Uh, but what about something far more important what about entry into the kingdom of heaven? That's what the inheritance of the saints in, the, in light actually means. How can you be qualified to enter the kingdom of heaven? And this is where some people get it wrong. See, some people think that living the Christian life, that that's the way you qualify to enter into heaven. Um, it's common to, for people to think uh, that life, all of life, it's like one big long test that when you get to the end of your life and turn up on the doorstep of heaven, that on that day you will find out if you've done enough to qualify yourself to get in. But see, here's the problem with that. God already tells us in his word that by our own record, we do not qualify. God has already told us that we have all disqualified ourselves through repeated sin and failure. See, the standard is God's holiness, and we all fall short of that. And so we can't meet the qualifications by our own efforts. 
Um, but here's the wonderful news of the gospel. As verse 12 lays it out, here's the gospel. We're not left to ourselves to try to qualify ourselves for heaven. But rather, it is the Father himself who qualifies you. See, we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. How has he done that? How has he qualified you for heaven? Well, that's laid out in verses 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So according to these verses, there are two kingdoms or two domains. There's the domain of darkness and the domain of light or the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's beloved son. And we are all born as members of the domain of darkness. We're all, we all belong to the kingdom of darkness when we're born. And uh, we're all born under the domain of sin and Satan and death. We're unable to free ourselves. We're lost. We're trapped there in that, that domain. And yet these verses say that God in his grace has come from heaven into this domain and rescued us from the domain of darkness and then transferred us into the domain of Christ, into the kingdom of light. And so what does that mean? It means that right now we are already citizens of heaven. It's already happened. But what about all those things we've done that disqualify ourselves? What about all that sin? What about all that failure? I mean, how can we be welcomed <clears throat> into the eternal kingdom, into God's kingdom, when we have done so much to disqualify ourselves? Well, here it is, the king under whose rule we now come. He is the one who has actually paid the price to set us free. That's what this word redemption means in verse 14. Christ has paid a ransom. He's paid a price that sets us free from all of the sin and failure. See, on the cross, Jesus paid for your sin. And so that in him, you are now what? You are forgiven. All of that is forgiven. And so the gospel is that the father sent his son to achieve what we fail to achieve. You know, when we hear the gospel story of Jesus living the perfect life for us, and when we see him going to the cross, offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin, do you know that's like sitting on the sidelines, watching our hero, watching our savior earn the perfect score, achieve the goal. He's doing it all for us. And so his qualification is now our qualification. If you have that by faith, you don't have to wait until the end of your life, until you get to the doorstep of heaven and find out if you qualify. You don't have to wait until then because the verdict is already in. The, the conditions have already been met. You are already qualified by Christ. It was finished at the cross. See, in Christ, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And that's the wonderful news that you need to return to again and again, every single day. See, maybe you're someone who feels like you haven't made all that much progress as a Christian. Uh, you think of all the sinful habits that plague your life and, and that you keep, keep struggling in. And you feel very discouraged. Uh, maybe you think of all the times, even this past week, where you failed Christ, where you have displeased him. And you feel like you're actually disqualified. Maybe you feel defeated and stuck. Uh, it looks like it's just too hard to keep going. 
here's the good news for you. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop looking to your own efforts to qualify you and put your trust in Christ. Because in Christ, do you know, what has, do you know what's happened? You have been transferred from that domain of darkness, from that domain of being living under sin. You've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And under his rule, there is freedom. There is freedom to live a life pleasing to him. That's why he has saved you, to set you free so that you can live a life pleasing to God. That's real freedom. This is the freedom of knowing God intimately. It's the freedom of being able to endure trials with patience and joy. This is what Christ has qualified you for. He's qualified you for a new life, living for him. And see, the more that you lean into that, the more that you lean into what he has done for you, the more that will propel you forwards to live this life that Christ has won for you. The more that you believe that that's who I am in Christ, I am someone who, is, who has been qualified, that's what will propel you forward. See, the motivation to keep going, what is it? It's gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. We don't live the Christian life in order to qualify ourselves. No, no, we live it because we have already been qualified in Jesus. And so the Christian life, it's a response of gratitude, giving thanks. You go through the letter and look at how many times that phrase comes up, giving thanks for what we have in Jesus. And so we can see that the gospel really is the way we grow. It's the way we go forward. Uh, what Christ has done for us, that's our hope. That's our strength. That's the power from God. That's the guarantee that it, we will make it. And therefore, that's the motivation to keep going every step, every day. And uh, if Paul says <clears throat> that he did not cease to pray this prayer for the Colossians, then clearly that's what we all need to be praying as well, unceasingly. This is what we need to be thinking about every day, that we would know God's will, that we would practice God's will, that we would have the, uh, the spiritual wisdom and understanding to practice that. Uh, we need to pray that we would be empowered by God for endurance so that we can go through trials with joy, growing in them. We need to pray that we would be a thankful people, thankful for who we are in Christ, thankful for what he has done, how he has transferred us into his kingdom. That's the prayer. And may God answer that prayer for each one of you today so that you would live for the pleasure of our Saviour and King. Amen.